Psalm 34 is what will be this morning. Psalm 34, I would invite you to take your Bible and turn to Psalm 34. And we'll read the first three verses of this. And if you have found that, if you would join me in standing for the reading of God's Word, if you're able to physically stand. Psalm 34. And we'll read the first three verses. Psalm 34, verse 1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. And then here's our theme verse for the year. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And let's have another word of prayer together. Lord, thank you for... All that's already taken place in the service, thank you for the wonderful music that has encouraged us to uh, magnify you in our lives. And Lord, I pray that this message would add to that and that you would use your word today to encourage us, to challenge us, to magnify you personally in our lives. And we'll pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, every year in January, uh, many people, or most people, make what they call New Year's resolutions. In 2000, uh, December of 2018, so just a little over a year ago, uh, there was a survey done. 320 people were participated in this survey, and, and the question was, what New Year's resolutions do you have? Well, 59%, I won't give you all the percentages, I'll just start listing some of the different resolutions that people had, and perhaps you would uh, resonate, some of these would resonate with you. But the, the one that most people uh, said was their resolution was exercise more, okay? <laughs> exercise more, 59% of the people said that. Eat healthier was the second most. Save money uh, was the next. Lose weight uh, was the next one, reduce stress, stick to a budget, get more sleep, spend more time with family, learn a new skill, travel more, uh, travel more and save money. I don't know how you could do both, uh, but anyway, um, make more friends, get a better job, improve my relationship with my spouse, spend, which by the way was only 22%, and, uh, and exercise more was 59%. So, um, spend less time on social media. That's a good resolution, although only 19% of people said that they wanted to do that. Uh, dress better, improve my sense of style. 18% of people said that. Find love or start a romantic relationship. 17% of people said that. Spend more time volunteering in my community. Get promoted or get a raise at my current job. Although you don't totally... I guess you do have control over that, but um, anyway, stop smoking or smoke less was 10%. Stop drinking or drink less was 8%. Spend less time focused on work was 7%. And there was other ones that were mentioned as well. They're just in the other category. So a lot of different resolutions that people have. And, and maybe you say, I have some of those same resolutions. Well, I read an article this week about how well we keep our resolutions on average. And uh, evidently, according to U.S. News and World Report, the failure rate for New Year's resolutions is said to be about 
not very good. And most lose their resolve by mid-February. I would say probably even (laughs) mid-January. Many people lose their resolve. But this article went on to suggest that instead of making a list of resolutions, that we should instead come up with a word of the year, a central focus that we live by that particular year. And that's what the author of this particular article was was suggesting. As I thought about that, I thought, you know, that's kind of what we have done here at Cornerstone this year and last year as well with our theme for 2019. It wasn't one word, it was three for Christ alone was last year, and this year it is magnify the Lord. And so uh, I believe that God directed me to this particular theme, and, and, and why would he? Well, because I believe magnifying the Lord really should be the overarching focus of our entire lives. You see, we were created to magnify God. We were created to exalt Him. We were created to glorify God with our lives. That's the real big reason why we're here, to bring glory to God. 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul said, Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whatever you're doing. Ephesians 1 and verse 11 and 12 says this, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of Him, who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will, that we should be to the praise of His glory, who first trusted in Christ. So we should be to the praise of His glory. That's why we're here. We're here for His glory. We're here to bring Him glory, to exalt Him, to Magnify the Lord. Revelation 4 and verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Have you ever been to a seminar and uh, they've said, you need, to, you need to figure out what your why is? Have you, anybody have ever heard that? You know, what's your why? Once you figure out your why, then then all the rest will kind of fall into place. Once you get your real purpose. Well, what's our why as believers? What's our real purpose? Our why as a Christian should be to do what our theme says this year, to magnify the Lord. This is our why. This is why we are here. You say, what is my purpose in this life? Where do I fit? Well, if you look at the screen, that's where you fit. We're here to magnify the Lord. We're here to exalt the name of God. We're here to bring glory to our great God. Okay, so what does it mean to magnify the Lord? And what does it look like? Well, I'm glad you asked. Not that you really were. But this morning, I want to share with you four important aspects of magnifying the Lord. And uh, let's get into it uh, this morning. First of all, number one, the concept of magnifying the Lord. What, what does that mean? What, what, what's the idea of magnifying the Lord? That kind of sounds a little abstract. Well, of course, most of us know that to magnify something means to make it appear bigger or to make it appear greater. When you think of a magnifying glass or a microscope, you see, the closer you get to the object, the bigger it becomes, doesn't it? At least it becomes to you. Now, Bill Bradley, in his book called The Way of Holiness, says this, when we magnify something 
or someone, we are not making the object of magnification any larger or any greater than it already is. We are just making that something or someone appear larger or greater to ourselves or to someone else. God is already great. He is already almighty. We cannot make Him any greater or larger or more powerful than He already is. But we can make Him appear greater or larger in our sight or in someone else's sight. That's what it means to magnify the Lord, to make Him appear greater in our own mind and in the minds of those who look at our life. As you again, with a magnifying glass, the closer you get, the bigger it becomes. Microscope. The closer you get to that item, that object, the bigger it seems. I'll never forget, uh, I guess it was back in 1998 when I went and my brother and I and my dad, we went to the East Coast. He had a business trip in Washington, D.C., and we decide, he decided to take my brother and I, and we did, we did New York, we did uh, Washington, D.C., we did Philadelphia. We kind of saw a lot of the sights and sounds over there. Um, but one of the one of the highlights of the trip was we did go to New York, and while we were there, this of course is before 2001, we got to go visit the World Trade Center, and uh, we went to there. We we went to the World Trade Center, and my dad paid for tickets for us to go to the very top to the observation deck. Anybody else visit the World Trade Center? You got to do that. You got to do that. A couple hands, and so my brother and I we went up there, and and. Uh, we walked around and the observation deck and we had this huge view. I mean, just spectacular. And uh, I got separated from my brother and my dad. I don't know how. Maybe I had to use the restroom or something. But uh, I couldn't find them anywhere. I walked around and walked around and ended up saying, you know what, I'm gonna, they may be already down at the bottom. So I went and took the elevator all the way down. Well, in order to go back up, you had to pay for another ticket. So I had to wait for about 45 minutes for them to finally come down and see if I was down there. And I was, and they're like, man, we can't take you anywhere, Eric. And I'm like, yeah, you really can't. We walk outside the World Trade Center, and uh, I mean, you can see a picture of it right here, and you know it's big, but I did something. Let's pretend this pulpit is the World Trade Center. I, I got outside of it, and I got right next to it, and I went like this. And I looked straight up, and I just almost fell backwards I was impressed with how big this was. I mean, you, you, you see these buildings in a picture. You see them maybe even flying over as you're making your way into New York. Um, or maybe you see it from a distance as you're making your way over there. But, but when you stand right next to it and look up, it's amazingly big. It's huge. Well, it was at that point. And then uh, earlier in my marriage, uh, Julie and I went to the Grand Canyon. And uh, we got to go see that. And how many been to the Grand Canyon? Oh, a lot more hands there on that one. And uh, when we were getting ready to go, one of my friends said, oh, man, it's if you've seen a picture of the Grand Canyon, you've kind of seen the Grand Canyon. Like, it's nothing special. It's just a big hole in the ground. And I was kind of thinking that he was probably true. So we get to the Grand Canyon. We get to a place where you park the car, and then you can walk up to one of those uh, fences there that you can stand at and look over and see this vast Grand Canyon. So we, we get over there, and I'm expecting what my friend said is, you know, you, you, you've seen a picture, you've seen the Grand Canyon. 
So I'm kind of walking up, and I, I sort of see it as I'm getting closer, and then I get to that, get to that post right here with the, the little fence. And I'm looking at that, and I'm leaning over, and I'm like, okay, that's enough. <laughs> I was blown away by how humongous this Grand Canyon really was because I got up close to it. Another uh, place that we've been to was... We lived, most of you know, we lived in uh, Helena, Montana for uh, three, three and a half years-ish. And uh, during that time, uh, well, there is a wonderful hill there called Mount Helena. And there's a picture of it right there. And uh, you see it as you're driving around Helena. It, it does stick up. Um, it does stick out, especially as you're coming down from the North Valley into uh, Helena. You really see that pretty big. Well, there was a couple t- well, I went up I went to the top of this mountain twice while we lived in, in Helena. And you look at it from a distance and you're like, eh, not that big of a mountain. Then when you start climbing it, you're like, how big is this mountain? <sighs> and uh right before we left, the Julie and, and uh Faith and I think Mark never had the opportunity to climb Mount Helena. So we thought, we'll make a family day of it. We'll go up there, and it's not that hard. And uh, we get about halfway up, and, and everybody's like, man, this is, let's just stop here. This is good enough. Like, this is a good enough view here. See, when you get closer to something, it, you, you recognize how big it really is. And so this year, I want to encourage us to draw close to the Lord, and when we do, we'll recognize just how big He really is. You know, some people don't have a very high view of God. You know why? Because they're really far from God. But the closer you get to Him, the more you understand how big and how great He truly is. When you get close to God, He appears much bigger than He does when you're far away. James chapter 4 and verse number 8 says, draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. And so this year, I want to encourage you and me as a church and individually to draw close to God, and as we do, we're going to see just how wonderful He really is. Let me illustrate it this way. Julie, if you can come on up here. We'll, we'll let me represent the Christian, and we'll let Julie represent the Lord. And if you go over there. So the promise here is that if we draw nigh to God, He draws nigh to me. And so if I take a step towards the Lord, guess what? The Lord takes a step towards me. It's one of my favorite sermon illustrations ever. You'll see in a moment. (laughs) But as a Christian, as the Lord begins to work in my heart and impress upon me to take the next step, Tammy made a very important decision today to get baptized. She took a step toward the Lord. You know what? The Lord took a step toward you today. You, you decide, you know what? I'm going to read my Bible through this year. I'm going, to, I'm going to focus and make sure that I'm spending time with the Lord and I'm going to take a step towards the Lord. You know what? The Lord takes a step towards you. You say, I'm going to, I'm going to get involved in a ministry at, at Cornerstone. I'm going to get involved in church. I'm not just going to warm a pew. No, I'm going to also be involved. I'm going to take a step towards the Lord. And guess what? The Lord takes a step towards you. It's getting good now. 
and, and the Lord presses you to start tithing and start giving towards missions and, and maybe even going out and uh, putting a sticker on your car and maybe uh, passing out some flyers as you go out into the community. You take a step towards Him. The Lord takes a step towards you. Oh, man. <laughs> Hallelujah. This is great. And then I take another step. <laughs> I'll let you be seated. Thank you. I think you get the hint. But as wonderful as it is to get close to my wife, it's even greater to get closer to the Lord. In His presence there is, as the Bible says, fullness of joy. Not just joy, but fullness. All the joy that you could ever want is when you're close to your Savior, when you're close to the Lord. Mark chapter 3 and verse 14. Before I quote this verse, I do want us to magnify the Lord in our community. I do want us to reach this world with the gospel of Christ. But Mark 13, 3 verse 14 says, And he ordained twelve. This is Jesus ordaining his disciples. He ordained twelve that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach. Before we go and magnify the Lord in our communities, we better make sure that we're spending time with Him. And when we do, then we'll be able to effectively magnify the Lord in our community. Do you notice the order here? He ordained 12 that they first should be with Him, that, they, that He might send them forth to preach. So first, we need to be spending time with the Lord personally, on our own, just us and God. And then we can go forth and make a difference in our community. Certainly, as we look at this theme of magnifying the Lord, we think of how God could use us to magnify the Lord here in more. And I can't wait to share some of the things that we're going to be doing this year as a church family tonight. So come back tonight. But before we do any of those things, we better make sure that we're spending time with Him. Acts chapter 4 and verse number 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what deeds he has made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. Then this, this is a stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. That was Peter's message. He said, look, there, there's only one name where we, whereby we must be saved, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. There's salvation in no other name. You can't be saved by your own name. You can't be saved by the name of Joseph Smith or any pope or anyone else. Jesus Christ is the only one that can save. So he says all of this. But the next verse says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. What did they marvel at? They marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. You see, with, with Peter and James and John, it was evident to the people around them that they had spent significant time with their Savior. And that's why they were so bold. That's why they were able to make such a difference. That's why they were able to magnify the Lord and be effective in it. It's because they 
took time personally to be with Christ, to magnify the Lord in their own lives. So the concept this morning is to make sure that we're spending time with the Lord and drawing close to Him so that we can see Him go, wow! I mean, I knew you were great, but now that I'm this close, it's amazing how great you are. How many have ever used a microscope before? Maybe we'll have to think back a few years since the last time we've done that. (laughs) Maybe a few decades even. (laughs) Those of you who've used one, you get those little slides, you know, and you get the little whatever you're supposed to be looking at is is pressed between the two glass slides. And then you you slide it into the bottom of that that microscope, and then you, you start looking in there, and then what do you do? You use that little dial right, to to focus it in so that you can see what you're supposed to be looking at. When you're looking through a magnifying glass, you kind of raise and lower it so that you can get the most clarity out of what you're looking at, right? You you adjust that. Now, folks, the, the concept here is that you and I are the microscope. You and I are the magnifying glass in which the Lord is, or which the world is trying to look at the, the, the Lord. The world is trying to look at the Lord, the Lord through you and I. We're the lens in which people see Christ. Are you being adjusted so that the Lord is clearly in focus in your life? Look, when people look at your life, do they automatically and obviously clearly see Christ? Or do they see something else first? Is the Lord abundantly obvious in your life, or is He just a splinter of your life? Just a little part, like, you know, I've got, you know, house insurance, car insurance, I've got tornado insurance, I've got, you know, life insurance, oh, and I've got heaven insurance too. It's like part of my portfolio. I think that that's how a lot of Christians view their Christianity. It's like, hey, I've, I've checked that box off instead of making this the most important thing of my entire life. More important, by the way, than even my own family. And I love my family dearly, except for Abby, our dog. <laughs> Pray for me, I'm struggling with the relationship there. It's strained at the moment. She destroyed my Traeger again. Pray for me. I love my family dearly, but look, the Lord needs to be more important than even my own family. He needs to come first and foremost. So when people look through your life, do they see the Lord clearly in focus? Is He truly high and lifted up in your life? Do people see an accurate representation of the Lord through your life, through your actions, through your attitudes, through your words. You and I are that lens in which people see the Lord. Are you focused in? Are you dialed in exactly the way you should be? That's the concept of magnifying the Lord. Very quickly, I want to share with you some cases of magnifying the Lord in in the Scriptures. The cases of magnifying the Lord. And as I was thinking about this, boy, the Bible is replete with examples or cases of people who truly magnified the Lord in their lives. But I just want to zero in on four 
people who not only did magnify the Lord, but indicated that that was their life's goal, indicated that this is what I want to do. And the words magnifier in, in, in many of these cases here, first of all, I think of Mary. Mary, in the story of when she was approached by the angel Gabriel that she was going to give birth to the Messiah, the promised one that had been promised for so many years. As she goes and tells Elizabeth what had happened. Elizabeth, remember the baby in her, in her, in her womb jumps for joy? Remember that? John the Baptist jumped for joy at the news. Well, Mary's response to Elizabeth and all of what she said to her was, first of all, in Luke 1 and verse 46, Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. Here was a lady who decided that she was from this moment on going to magnify the Lord. And she did. Remember when everyone else bailed with Jesus on the cross? Everyone else was hiding because they thought they were going to be the next one crucified? Not John and not Mary. Mary was standing there at the foot of the cross watching her son become the substitute for my sin and yours. And we find Mary later on in the book of Acts there in the upper room praying. Here was a lady who indeed spent her time magnifying the Lord. Mary was a great case of magnifying the Lord. Also, speaking of John the Baptist, he's the next one. John the Baptist magnified the Lord in his life too. Without going into a lot of detail, I'll just share one verse that he said. uh, John 3 and verse 30 said, He must increase, but I must decrease. John 3.30, He must increase, but I must decrease. In other words, I want to magnify you, Lord. I don't want to magnify me. In fact, I want me to be minimized. On a computer screen, you can maximize and minimize a window. You know what I'm talking about? Those techie people out there? Too often, we want to maximize our window. World, see me. Selfie, selfie. Got to do the, the duck lips. That's, that's the way the world lives. I know, very awkward, right? <laughs> Seeing me do that. But John the Baptist was saying, I want to minimize that window, and I want to maximize God in my life. I want Him to increase, and I need to decrease in order for that to happen. Because can't have too many cooks in the kitchen. Only one needs to be in charge, and I want it to be the Lord. I want to magnify Him. So Mary, John the Baptist, and I think also of Paul, and we, we covered this verse a few months ago in our, book, in our study in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 20, here was Paul who said this, According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified. In my body, whether it be by life or by death. Paul had a desire to really indeed magnify the Lord, and it didn't matter if it meant him living, 
And it didn't matter if it meant him dying. It didn't matter because he wanted God to be magnified through him and through his life. Some tremendous cases of magnifying the Lord. And then fourthly, and one we're going to zero in on this morning, and that is David himself. The human author of Psalm 34. And now we're going to kind of turn our attention a little bit more to the text. Uh, Verse number 3 here of Psalm 34. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. It was David, the human author, who wrote that. He desired to really, indeed, magnify Christ and magnify the Lord through his life. So those are some cases of magnifying the Lord. But I want us to see, thirdly, this morning, the context of magnifying the Lord. If you'll notice in your Bible, and I'm assuming it's in most of your Bibles, if not all of them, you have Psalm 34, then you have a little inscription, and then you get verse number 1. The inscription says a psalm of David, and and many of the psalms say that. It indicates who was the human author of that psalm. So it says a psalm of David, and then mine says when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. An interesting inscription. This is uh, the only time this inscription is used in in the Psalms. Now, there's other inscriptions, but but this is the only only time this particular one was used. And I was thinking, you know, what, what was David going through? What propelled him to write, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. What propelled him to do that? And so I thought, you know, let's go back and see the, the event, the circumstances surrounding this, uh, this time and see what, what propelled him, what triggered him to say all of this. So let's go back to 1 Samuel chapter number 18. 1 Samuel chapter number 18. <coughs> and in this context, we're going to see Uh, Three elements of David's life here. First of all, we're going to zero in on David's dilemma. David's dilemma. And we're going to find that here in verse number 18, or chapter 18. Now, chapter 17 of 1 Samuel is a very famous chapter in the Bible. That's the chapter where we read about the very famous story of David defeating Goliath through the power of God with just a sling and five smooth stones. God won a great victory that day, and that was a wonderful thing. Well, we come to uh, the next chapter in chapter number 18. Everyone is singing David's praises in verse, verses, uh, let's, let's pick it up here in verse number 6. And it came to pass as they came when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing, to meet King Saul with tabrets, with Joy and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, and said, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. So this was put to music and, and they were calling back and forth each other, to each other and, and making this a big musical number. I mean, America's Got Talent would have been impressed. So this was happening. Well, in verse number eight, Everybody was loving this except for one individual, right? Verse number 8, Saul was very wroth. The saying displeased him, and he said, 
They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? Verse number 9, Saul eyed David from that day and forward. He became very insecure as the king, and he became very, very jealous of David. And he became so jealous and so enraged that Saul desired to kill David. In chapter 19 and verse number 1, if you want to look there, Saul spake to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. He wanted to put an end to David's life because he was okay with him defeating Goliath, but he's not okay with David becoming king. Well, in chapters 19 and 20, David and Jonathan, it records their story of developing a, a godly friendship, and it becomes clear at the end of chapter number 20 that David is not safe to stay in that area, and so he departs and run away. And chapter 21 is the context of when uh, Psalm 34 was written. So chapter 21, we see David doing something that seems a little out of character for the man who just defeated a giant with a sling and five smooth stones under the power of God. And we come here to not only David's dilemma, but we come here to secondly David's delirium. He acts super delirious here in a lot of ways. Now he's running for his life because he understands Saul is after him. And Saul, of course, is a very powerful man. He has all these servants that are uh, running his errand for him, trying to kill uh, David, and I'm sure there were some good rewards for those who accomplished this feat. So he's scared. And he comes here, and uh, let's pick it up in verse number 8. David said unto Ahimelech, Is there not here under thine hand spear or sword? For I have neither brought my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. So David ends up in a strange country, and he says, do you have any weapons here? Like, where's the nearest gun, gun store? <laughs> where's the nearest uh, Cabela's or Bass Pro Shop? And so he comes here and he says, I, I, I don't have anything. And the priest said, in verse 9, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom thou slewest in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If thou wilt take that, take it, for there is no other save that here. Basically, we only have one sword available, and it's, it's Goliath's. You, you, you killed him. You can have it if you want it. Here's what David's response was. There's none like that. Give it me. He said, there's not a finer sword in all the land. I remember using it to cut off his own head. Yes, I want to have that. So he takes Goliath's sword, and then he goes here in verse number 10, David arose, fled that day for fear of Saul, went to Achish, king of Gath. I'll just tell you this, that Gath was the homeland of Goliath. And he goes to enemy territory with Goliath's sword on his side. The man who killed Goliath, it's friendly territory for David. No, it's not. Servants of Achish, in verse 11, said unto him, unto the king, Hey, isn't this David the king of the land? Didn't they sing one to another of him in dances? How did it go again? Yeah, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. 
David heard them talk about it, and he went, "Uh uh-oh. I'm in enemy territory, and they recognize me. They know who I am, and I have Goliath's sword on my side. That wasn't super smart of me to come here in the first place, and then to come here with Goliath's sword. He's just acting a little delirious here. Verse 12, David laid up these words in his heart and was sore afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. Well, what happened to Mr. Courageous in chapter 17? I mean, David was the epitome of faith. He was the epitome of courage. And now he's sore afraid? And now he's living in fear? He's acting delirious. Well, it gets worse. Verse number 13, it says, And he changed his behavior before them. So he began to act. He put on an act. He, he started to go, Oscar award-winning performance needs to happen right about now. And so otherwise I'm going to be destroyed because they know who I am. And when, once they do, they're going to send me out of this world. Verse 13, he changed his behavior before them and he feigned himself mad in their hands. And he scrabbled on the doors of the gate and let his spittle fall down upon his beard. So he began to act crazy. So he went to the gate of the, of the city and he began to scratch it just like a madman would, just all delirious, just, and began to drool all over himself, acting all mad, hoping, hoping that the king would recognize that he has indeed gone crazy and cast him out of the city and let him go. Well, verse 14 we come to David's deliverance. Then said Achish unto his servant, Lo, you see, the man is mad. Wherefore then have you brought him to me? Have I need of madmen that ye have brought this fellow to play the madmen in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? He said, I don't want another crazy person in my kingdom. Got too many as it is. Get this guy out of here. So David was delivered. Verse number 1 of chapter 22, David therefore departed thence, escaped to the cave Adullam. See, David was delivered in that moment. Now, here's the point. Did David deserve to be delivered because of his actions? If you're thinking yes, you're sincerely wrong. He didn't deserve it. Instead of acting in faith and trust like he was in chapter 17, now he's living in fear. Now he's trying to take matters into his own hands and trying to uh, scheme a way out of it. And in spite of it all, guess what? The Lord does indeed deliver him. David didn't deserve his deliverance, but guess what? Neither do you, and neither do I. I didn't deserve to be delivered from my sin. I didn't deserve to be set free from my bondage of sin. And yet God did because He's good. Because His grace is abundant. His mercy is great. David was delivered in spite of his actions, in spite of his attitude, in spite of his fear. He was delivered anyway. And now maybe you you and I can understand a little better why he wrote. And let's turn back over to Psalm 34. He was delivered in spite of who he was and what he did. He realized how foolish he had had been. 
he understood that. And, and so he says in verse number one, after he was delivered, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Oh, my soul, it, it shall make her boast in the Lord, and the humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and, and let us exalt His name together, because I have been delivered. I have been set free. The Bible says in verse number 22, look at this. The Lord redeemeth the soul of His servants. Look in verse number 19. The, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. See, this is a man speaking out of experience. He had just been delivered from a very tense situation and he was giving praise to the Lord. You and I, if you're saved, have been delivered out of a very, very tense situation because we were, we had our e eternal address in a place called hell and, and God delivered us out of that. Now we have an eternal address in a place called heaven. That will never change. So we've been delivered as well. And that leads to number four here, the last thought very quickly, this Morning, and it is still morning. So bear with me for just a few more moments. But number four, the commitment to magnify the Lord. Now you can see why David was so committed to magnifying the Lord because of what God had done in his life. And Christian friend and brother and sister, I want to encourage you to once again get a fresh glimpse of what he did for you so that you're propelled and triggered to then uh, commit yourself to magnify the Lord in your life. In this commitment, we see, first of all, his decision. In verses 1 and 2, he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And this, we see, his decision was to praise the Lord, to live a life that would indeed praise God. Psalm 69, verse number 30, says this, I will praise the name of God with a song. And here it is, and will magnify him with Thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or bullock that hath horns and hoofs. The psalmist is saying, look, instead of bringing a very sacrificial offering and laying it down and saying, here, God's going to like me now. God is pleased when we bring praise to Him and we praise His name and, and we magnify Him with thanksgiving. Ephesians 5.20 says, Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look, you and I can magnify the Lord by praising the Lord. And then also, we see his decision wasn't just to praise the Lord, it was also to promote the Lord. Verse number 2, My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. Sometimes we like to boast in our experience. We like to boast in our talent or our accomplishments. And here the psalmist David says, I'm going to boast in the Lord. I'm going to stop boasting in me because I'm nothing. I realize that what I did did not warrant God to deliver me out of that, that situation. And yet the Lord did because He's good. Too many people want to promote themselves in our day and age. We want the attention. We want the focus to be on ourselves. But David said, no, no, I'm going to boast in the Lord. Psalm 44 and verse 8, In God we boast all the day long and praise thy name forever. Not in myself. So we're going to promote God in our lives. Stop talking about how wonderful we are. You know, I, I, I wonder our social media accounts, how many of our accounts are, are really promoting the Lord or just promoting ourselves. 
That's a beautiful opportunity to promote the Lord, and I would encourage you to magnify Him in your social media activity this year. Paul tells the church at Ephesus that we are saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's why salvation, that's why we need to promote the Lord, because look, we can't earn our way to heaven. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. It was Paul who said in Galatians 6 and verse 14, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. He said, look, if I'm going to glory, I'm going to only glory in the cross of Calvary because that's the only thing I have to glory in. So we see his decision here was to praise the Lord and to promote the Lord. But we see, lastly, his desire. His desire in verse number 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. A couple thoughts about His desire, and we'll be finished. His desire was personal. He wanted to magnify the Lord personally. Because notice He said, magnify the Lord with me, indicating, I want you to join me, but whether you join me or not, I'm going to do it. I'm going to decide personally that I'm going to magnify the Lord with my life. And um, friend, brother, sister, I hope that you will personally decide to magnify the Lord this year. I hope that's your personal desire. Now, I hope that you'll want to bring others with you, and we'll get to that in a moment, but it starts with me. It starts with you. It was Joshua who said, as for me and my house, it starts with, it starts with a personal decision. David said, I'm going to magnify the Lord, and I want you to join me, but I want to, it starts with me. So his desire, it was personal, but then it was indeed public. His desire was that not only would he magnify the Lord, but he would take others with him. That he would, he would uh, have others come alongside and join in. You see, the desire to magnify the Lord in David's life was so intense that he couldn't just keep it to himself. He just had to include others in it. He had tasted the Lord's goodness and wanted others to taste it too. Verse number 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in Him. He had tasted of the Lord's goodness and he knew of God's grace and wonders and, and he wanted others to experience it too. May each of us develop a desire to magnify the Lord so strong and intense as well that we can't help but share it with others and invite them to come along for the ride. Dads, moms, it starts with you, but guess what? Then you can include your family in it, your children, and say, hey, as a family, this year we're going to magnify the Lord in our home. Here at church, church family, it starts with me. And I've made the decision that I want to magnify the Lord, and I want to invite you to come with me. Boy, we can let this spread into our community and throughout the world as well commitment to magnify the Lord. Here's what I believe God is asking us to do today. I believe that God wants each of us to decide to magnify the Lord by drawing close to Him. And when we do, we can see Him high and lifted up. Isaiah chapter 6, and we're done. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne 
high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. When Isaiah got close to the Lord, he saw God for who he was and is. He saw that God is holy, 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 and then, then, he said, I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And then God said, Go and tell this people. I do want us to go and tell this people here and more. I do want us to go and tell this people in the world, but it's only going to happen if you and I see the Lord high and lifted up. Get close enough to the Lord, spend time with Him, and see Him going, Wow, I know you're amazing, but now that I see you this close, I'm just more impressed. And I can't help but tell others. There's going to be some things we're going to talk about tonight. I, I, I really want to just tell you now, but we're out of time, and uh, I don't want to steal my thunder for tonight. But it's only going to really be accomplished if you and I personally, individually, draw close to God and magnify Him in our own hearts and own lives. And so that's the decision I want you to make this morning. If you're here today and you're not sure you're even a Christian, I would invite you to make the greatest decision of your entire life. More important than getting married, that's a big one. More important than where you go to college or what you do for a career or uh, what football team you're going to root for here in Oklahoma. Those are some big decisions, but the biggest one of them all is a decision that impacts the rest of this life, but also the rest of eternity. And that is the decision to believe on Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. If you're here and you've never done that, I would invite you at the end of the service on your way out, just shake my hand and say, Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm a Christian. You are speaking about that, and I'd like to talk to you a little bit further about that. We'll set up a time, and I'll show you from God's Word how you can know for sure. With that, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for this passage of Scripture. And Lord, I wanted to do a better job at explaining all of this. Um, but Lord, I, I pray that you'll take these, these thoughts that I've shared, and, and I pray that you would help them to make sense in, the people, in people's minds and hearts. And Lord, I pray that, that people would make the decision today to truly magnify you in their lives personally. And yes, Lord, I pray that it would spill over into their other relationships, but I pray that it would start with a personal decision to magnify you. And Lord, I pray that every person in our church would make that decision and that you would help us to put you first and foremost in everything we do this year. And Lord, I pray that it would, um, we would allow you to use us to magnify you in our community and in our world, yes, but Lord, we help us to remember it starts with a personal decision. And I pray, Lord, for those who perhaps are here today and not sure that they're even a Christian. I pray, Lord, you would touch their hearts. Draw them to yourself. Help them, Lord, to not be comfortable until they make that decision. Help them, Lord, uh, to uh, come to you and be saved.